Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Jose Lott, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. COVID-19 vaccine mandates are hitting us with full force. The NCBC is fielding record numbers of consults as a result of these mandates, a large percentage of them being requests for our exemption resources. Listeners may know the NCBC has maintained a reasoned and consistent position on the issue of mandates, and we have received much support and also critique for it. I'm joined today once again by NCBC President Joseph Meany. Among other issues, Joseph will clarify the Center's position on COVID-19 vaccine mandates and distinguish between a religious exemption and a conscience exemption. We'll also discuss how the Catholic Church has contributed to the confusion and unfortunately division that these mandates have caused in our communities. Joseph Meany, welcome back to Bioethics On Air. Hi, it's great to be with you, Joe. All right, so before delving into the issues we'll discuss today, you gotta tell us what it has been like being the president of the NCBC since the vaccine mandate issue hit, hit full force this summer. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I started addressing the issue back in April, and at that point, there was almost unanimity, right? Nobody was really advocating for, for vaccine mandates, and there was, um, there was a lot of skepticism as well about vaccine passports. Now, that changed rapidly, and, uh, and so now we have a situation where tons and tons of universities and private employers and the federal government and state governments and yeah, all, all different levels of mandates have been imposed and are being considered and different proposals are out there that are, you know, some, some of them quite extreme, um, others, uh, you know, less so. But uh, it's, it's been a big challenge because uh, we've had a, an explosion of interest in this topic. And I think for one thing, uh, I remember seeing that our website had more visitors in the month of August than in the entire year of 2020. So we've had a huge and a huge number of consults as well, just record-breaking numbers of people getting in touch with us um, to discuss the issue and to ask for our, our materials, et cetera. Yeah, so how... Um... How has it, the vaccine mandate issue affected the NCBC? I think we, we've mentioned consults. I mentioned that in the beginning. You mentioned it um, just now. But that media requests, people signing up for our newsletters, what, what have you seen? What, yeah, what has well, happened with the, with the mandates? So large numbers of media requests uh, from both the religious and secular media who are interested in the issue and, and what, what kind of arguments are being made. Right. We've also had a, a very large number of people signing up electronically, because as they've come to our website, they have the opportunity to sign up for our newsletter or updates, because we have a biweekly electronic newsletter that we send out and other information. So that, is, that has exploded quite a bit. And then, of course, I've been speaking to a large number of bishops, because uh, yep. it's been a big issue. And, and also, you know, Catholic hospitals and, and other institutions that have this as an issue. But even, you know, uh, legal questions have come to us, you know, and that's not our our background, you know, we we have a little little right. disclaimer we always put out that we don't give medical or legal advice. But in a sense, a lot of people are wanting to get legal advice or medical advice on some of these issues, and so we have to refer them on to to experts or people who are qualified to do that. But it's been a, a big, big push, and you know, dioceses themselves have been pushing people in our direction just to get 
you know, some, some more clarity and to, uh, to get some of our materials. So it's been uh, quite, quite a busy time. Yeah, I could just say, I, I know you've been on TV a lot. Um, I, I see the requests that come in. Um, speak about that for a second. Have, 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 what has been the, the exposure of the NCBC? Has it, has it been a good thing in, in, your, uh, in your opinion? Uh, in, in, are responding to these issues? I think so. I mean, for one thing, the NCBC has been a little bit of um, an academic resource, you know, for the bishops that uh, not too many people had heard about in the past. And, you know, if you're not actively involved in Catholic healthcare or in, in as a bishop, then chances were you hadn't heard about the National Catholic Bioethics Center. I think that's changing a bit uh, because we're actually providing materials and, and more people have been interested in ethics and bioethics because of COVID uh, in general. Um, and so the the NCBC has, has just seen a big uptick in, in terms of just general interest. I think it's, it's something that uh, affects all of us. And so I think people are, are turning to us. So in general, I think it's positive. I mean, it's not been universally positive. Uh, there are some journalists and others out there who've decided that they want to whip, you know, whip up on us or, or attack us. But um, in general, uh, it's been overwhelmingly positive. Excellent. All right. So... Joseph, there have been numerous interpretations and probably misinterpretations of the NCBC's position on mandated COVID-19 vaccines. Overall, what is the NCBC's position and what's the rationale for it? So we have a statement on our website, uh, NCB statement on COVID-19 vaccine mandates. And we start off in a very, very clear way saying that, you know, we are not endorsing mandates which also means that we're not protesting mandates as well, right? I mean, we, we see that the issue of mandates has to be very carefully discerned uh, on a case-by-case -case basis, just as taking the vaccine itself has to be carefully discerned on a case-by-case -case basis. But what we do see is a danger, right, of, of blanket mandates. Uh, and in particular in that statement, we say, you know, there, there is a need for exemptions to be offered, uh, not only for medical reasons, which I think everybody recognizes, but also for religious or conscience reasons. And that there are you know, serious and, and well-founded reasons why individuals could ask for an exemption and be accommodated for that in, in our tradition, uh, both as Catholics, but also as a, as a freedom-loving people in the United States. And so I think that's, that's one of the, the main purposes of our statement about the mandates is that it's not a blanket issue, but it's something that has to be very carefully discerned. And we just have to be very clear that as a rule, vaccination uh, is not a moral obligation. So, you know, there, there's kind of been a little bit of confusion out there saying people getting the impression that they have to get vaccinated, that there's no kind of moral discernment that goes gets involved there. And, and of course, they're being told they have to get vaccinated by the mandates. And so that strikes us as, as problematic. Uh, and we wanted to make sure that people realize that in, in general, uh, you don't have this moral obligation for vaccination. It's something that should, again, be discerned. And, and there could be very good reasons to get the vaccines, but there could be reasons also not to, both health reasons and, and moral ethical reasons. So we wanted to be very, you know, very even-handed about the issue. We're not condemning mandates uh, out of hand, but at the same time, we don't think that mandates are you know, necessarily the best way of going about serving the common good and protecting individuals from 
from COVID, which is, I guess, the purpose here. We have to think that most most mandates are being imposed for the good purpose of, of fighting the pandemic. Do they really serve that purpose well? Or is there other ways of doing that that are that are more respectful of people's individual liberties and, and freedoms and, and ethics and conscience? That's kind of the question we wanted to be coming to the forefront. Yeah. And and the NCBC's position, it's just, we can kind of look for a middle of the road position on this, but this position is perfectly consistent with church teaching, is it not? Sure. I mean, we're essentially quoting the catechism of the Catholic Church and the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. So right. that is a very clear you know, indication that we, we want to serve the church you know, and, and provide good authoritative teaching. And, and that's, I think, one of the big issues that has come up with the COVID mandate issue is people, you know, there are separate statements and other things that are out there and, and sometimes contradictory ones. So one has to look at, you know, what is the most authoritative teaching available from the church on different issues? So we tried to sort through that and come up with those, those teachings. And the other thing that's very important to realize is that these vaccines are incredibly new. It's new technology, new vaccines that have not been around for a very long time. And so all those questions make the mandates problematic, particularly before there was a full approval for any of the vaccines when they were only under emergency youth authorization. It was, it was kind of unprecedented to have a, a vaccine requirement for a vaccine that had not yet received the full approval of the FDA. Now, since then, that has changed. We'll, we'll probably get to that later. Yeah. Yeah, we will. I was wondering if I could just follow up on the the NCBC statement. So there are those who have criticized the NCBC for emphasizing the individual right of conscience over the duty to uphold the common good. How do you, how do you respond? Is that is that a valid critique of the NCBC statements? Well, I would say that uh, we we try to respond to that actually in writing with a press release uh, on, <laughs> on August seventeenth. And I think we did a pretty good job there, right? Calling for respect for the church's teaching on the common good, conscience, and charity. So the three C's, Correct. if you will. But I think it's very important to realize that one cannot serve the common good by violating conscience. I mean, conscience mm-hmm. means discerning what is right and what is wrong uh, in an individual case, in a specific circumstance, and then obviously pursuing the good. Now, the common good is the result of individuals following their well-formed consciences and all striving for the good. So in a sense, the two are right. mostly compatible, not in in contradiction. I, I don't think um, there's anyone who can say that if you're not following your, you know, if you're following your conscience, you're not serving the common good. If, you know, if you, you're, you're absolutely trying to do your best. Now, I think as part of the discernment, that each individual has to go through in terms of what to do in these circumstances, uh, thinking about elements of the common good, such as uh, those who are uh, particularly fragile or weak, or you know the the general needs of society, mm-hmm. make a lot of sense. And then we emphasize that quite a bit in our own discernment guide uh, for looking at the, at the vaccines. But I think it's a false division, if you will. You know, to say if you're only speaking about the common good then somehow conscience doesn't have any role. And if you're only speaking about conscience, then we're not considering the common good. It should be both. It really should. And on top of all that, right. there should be charity. Because that's that's really the, the goal, I think, is you know not only to, to serve what's good for all of society and what is good for oneself, but also to do it in a manner you know, that is charitable. 
where we're thinking about others right. in, a, in a positive way and not kind of, you know, looking at their motives and trying to trying to attack or shame other people for the decisions that they make in, in, in good conscience and good faith. Yeah. All right. I'd like to change subjects a little bit and talk about exemptions. And there's a lot of confusion, a lot of differences of opinion about the whole issue of exemptions. People, we know that people are contacting us to get our materials to request exemptions. Some people are getting them. Some people are not. Um, and again, it's causing a lot of confusion and division actually in our society. But I'm wondering if one of the reasons for the confusion and the, and the difference of opinion on the vaccine mandate issue concerns a lack of clarity in terms of the, the terminology that we use, particularly religious exemption and conscience exemption, because we, we sometimes we tend to use those two terms interchangeably, which is problematic. Uh, we also recognize that there are legal understandings of religious and conscience exemptions that we're not going to discuss here. Um, but that's a whole, you know, that's a brings a whole nother uh, discussion into this. But I was wondering if you could tell us how does the NCBC understand the term religious exemption? Yeah. So religious exemptions are essentially exemptions based on um, a principled religious basis. Uh, in your religion, you have a teaching uh, that uh, strongly indicates which way you should be going, and therefore you hold that up as a basis for uh, asking for an exemption. And the thing that makes the COVID vaccines a little bit complicated is that the church has said two uh, very distinct things. One is that all these vaccines, unfortunately, have a link to abortion-derived cell lines, either in production or uh, in the testing of these vaccines, and that this is a, a moral problem, an ethical problem associated with these vaccines that you know caused a lot of concern uh, as to whether Catholics could, in good conscience, take the vaccines or not. And there was a, a pretty strong analysis of that that was done that said, well, because there are no alternatives available, and because the connection to abortion is extremely remote, and so there's a there's kind of a big distance between the original abortion at the start of these cell lines, and and the end user who's taking a vaccine that has a tangential relationship with those cell lines, that you know, in a case of grave necessity, uh, such as a pandemic and certain people's individual circumstances, uh, they could discern in conscience to do so under protest, right? That we we actually want to have vaccines that are completely ethically sound and don't have any connection to abortion at all. But nonetheless, so on the one hand, so this, this message has gone out that there's an ethical issue there, but that one is allowed to take these vaccines nonetheless, if one discerns so in conscience. On the other hand, there have been a lot of uh, promotional materials, a lot of, of statements in favor of uh, getting vaccinated because of considering the fragility of others, um, you know, individuals, certain circumstances, such as being a frontline healthcare worker, or, you know, particularly old or fragile and particularly vulnerable to, to COVID, et cetera. And so it's been portrayed as almost like a, an act of charity to go forward and do this. Now, so the, the two messages, if you will, are, are completely compatible, but they can also seem contradictory, right? That the church would be encouraging on the one hand, individuals uh, to get vaccinated to, to do it as an act of love. And on the other hand, saying, well, wait a second, you can also uh, make a, a strong principled stance against any relationship to abortion 
by refusing these vaccines. If, if particularly if you know in conscience you you discern that you can't really do that in your own personal circumstances, and those two are kind of intention. And it, so sometimes there's I think a tendency to emphasize one or the other uh, in such a way that uh, one kind of loses the balance there of what the church is saying. So, with that being said, can a Catholic request? a religious exemption from a COVID-19 vaccine? Why or why not? Sure. I would say that it's not a religious exemption in the strict sense okay. of, you know, my church has a teaching against vaccination because the Catholic church is very clear that uh, vaccination can be good. It's also mm-hmm. very clear it's not a moral obligation either, right? So right. you don't have a, a universal obligation not to get vaccinated or a universal obligation to get vaccinated. So it's not a religious exemption based on, you know, church teaching against vaccination, even in the case of abortion-derived cell lines, because it is clear that one can discern in conscience to do so. However, uh, it's also very clear that the Catholic Church says one has to discern these things in conscience, and that there's a religious basis for doing this, uh, that we have a very grave moral duty to follow uh, our conscientious judgments. And so in that sense, uh, there is a religious basis for objecting. Because one has made a conscientious discernment, then one has, as a Catholic, a religious duty to follow that conscientious judgment. And so if uh, if there is not a uh, a conscience exemption that's being offered, because that is one of the problems, right? In some circumstances, individuals have no uh, third option, you know, no uh, medical, religious, or conscience uh, exemption possibility. They're only offering medical or religious exemptions. And in some cases, they're not even offering religious exemptions. Uh, I've heard right. some states saying they're not offering any exemptions, whatever, except for medical ones, which again is is highly problematic. Right. But in that case, one has a case uh, to say that there is a, a religious motivation for uh, one's conscientious discernment here and the necessity to follow that up. So that's part of the materials that we provide. Right. So just to, to clarify for our audience, let me see if I can, if I can distill what you said down into you know, just very, very clear language. So basically what you're saying is a Catholic in a strict sense, one couldn't request a religious exemption because the church doesn't teach that it is immoral to get a COVID-19 vaccine. Correct. However, a Catholic could, in discerning his in discernment of his or her conscience, could come to the judgment of conscience that they should not receive a COVID-19 vaccine. That's a conscientious judgment, but the duty to follow one's conscience, uh, as the church teaches, that is a religious teaching. It's, found, it's based in the religious uh, tradition of the church. So it's, again, it, it's, you, you can claim a conscience uh, exemption uh, but not a strictly religious exemption. However, the conscience exemption is rooted very deeply in the religious tradition of the church. Am I correct in that understanding? That's correct. Yeah, and and also the you know the objection to to the abortion derived cell lines and any of their uses. I mean, there's a natural law objection, obviously, right. but there's also a strong religious objection to that. So, in a sense, uh, you know, the church has has come out very clearly saying that one should not be using these cell lines for research purposes. So there's a there's a strong Catholic prohibition, you know, teaching that one should not be using these cell lines for research purposes, as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, an end user 
who might in some circumstances agree, you know, if there are no alternatives, et cetera, to take them. So yeah, it, it does require some nuance there. It's, it's not one of those <laughs> things that is 100% uh, easily discernible. You kind of have to split some hairs a bit. Yeah. I, I probably didn't explain it all that well in, in when I was just mentioning it here. But again, we've had that conversation. You've probably had that conversation a hundred times with people on the phone, uh, with consults and, and, and emails and everything else. That's a question we're getting over and over and over again. Yeah. Changing gears a little bit, I'd like to talk about some of the different voices that Catholics are hearing uh, from the church today. So Joseph, Catholics in the U.S. have received very different guidance uh, from their bishops on this mandate, on this vaccine mandate issue. For example, uh, the Colorado and the South Dakota bishops have said that priests can sign exemption request letters. The Wisconsin bishops and the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, where the NCBC is, those bishops, while recognizing the primacy of conscience, instruct priests not to sign exemption request letters. And then we have the Bishop of El Paso, Texas, who has mandated that all diocesan staff, all diocesan employees get a COVID-19 vaccine. Joseph, how are faithful Catholics to understand this contradictory guidance that they're getting from different bishops and from different dioceses? I think the the basis of it, in a sense, is that each individual bishop or, or Catholic conference in terms of the states are kind of wrestling with these issues that, again, are, are quite complicated. Uh, and, and nuanced and, uh, and difficult to, to go through. And the circumstances vary quite a bit from one place to the next. So I think that that's part of it, you know, that uh, there's, um, there's a complicated issue. Uh, there's not very clear guidance from the church at the highest levels about the mandate issue. Uh, there's, there's been a lot more guidance about whether it's morally permissible or not, you know, and the need for discernment to take the the vaccines, but then this is taking it to a new level, saying that you are obliged to do so. And how does the church kind of respond to that? And so I think it's been a challenge for a lot of different bishops to to come forward on this. And and many, many have come out with statements uh, which we applaud, right? Because they they essentially say that there's a need to respect conscience, there's a need to support the faithful. It, it's clear that a lot of the people who would be objecting are very faithful very faithful and, and, and good Catholics who are very appalled by any link to abortion and, and want to make a very strong principled stand. And so these are the kinds of people that the church needs to be supporting and to be you know, understanding of. And at the same time, there's a need to also realize that there's a lot of fear and a lot of you know, necessity uh, out there to, to do something. You know, there's, <laughs> there's almost like a... Um, a big push, you know, we got to do something. This pandemic has been going on for too long and we need to, to come to an end to it. Now, one of the big issues, of course, is that these are not traditional vaccines. So they don't uh, provide the same kind of protection that, uh, you know, the smallpox vaccine or the polio vaccine. We're used to these things, you know, you take them once and you, you have immunity for, for years and years and years. They're already talking about booster shots now. Right. Uh, after just a few months for some of these vaccines. And then there's all these other issues that have been um, associated with them. And so it's, it's a real question mark as to whether it makes a lot of sense to be requiring it. And so I think uh, in the different dioceses, a lot of bishops also are, are kind of wary, right, of getting pulled into it in terms of having pre-signing letters of exemption. 
also because when we're talking about an individual's uh, Catholic belief, right, we don't need a priest to validate what is in the catechism or what has been stated by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Uh, in a sense, you know, it's a, almost a form of clericalism to require a, a layperson to get a priest to sign off on their, their religious belief uh, about conscience or their, their own particular beliefs, you know, in terms of their own private conscience. Also, there's some questions about, you know, almost the inner forum there, right, of, of reaching into a person's uh, conscience and, and discussing things that are kind of under, maybe not under the seal of confession, but, you know, I mean, very private things, um, getting those out in the public is, is problematic. And so that's another aspect, really, of, of the mandates that, that is an issue is, you know, some of these exemption request forms are long, huge numbers of questions, et cetera, that are quite probing. And as a country that, you know, respects the privacy of individuals and, and their own liberties, it's kind of a, an issue in terms of, of their own, you know, religious belief and their conscientious belief um, to be subjected to cross-examination like this is, is something out there. So I think the church in a certain sense is, is in many cases wanting to, to take a step back and to say, look, we support the rights of conscience. And I don't think a single bishop has said that they don't. Uh, but at the same time, we don't want to be pulled into, you know, signing off on, on an individual's Catholic belief or, or conscientious belief as, as something that uh, they would be substituting for that individual who really should be doing this uh, for themselves. Now, they can get the support of the clergy and they should have that support, you know, and, and for instance, getting a letter signed by the clergy that, you know, this person is a faithful baptized Catholic, you know, who participates regularly in Sunday mass just to, to show that their religious belief is very strong. You know, that makes sense. And, and that's even required in some instances, right, for, for confirmation or baptism, uh, godparents. But it is an issue uh, that I see as, as problematic because people are looking and say, well, bishop such and such said this and this other bishop said that, you know, and sometimes it's very different messaging. And it would be helpful, I think, personally, uh, for an entity like the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops to come out with a statement as, as they've had earlier in the pandemic. But it doesn't seem like that's very likely at present, uh, which I think is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot to to unpack um, in what you said, and we could go on for hours and hours. I, I would like to ask you this, though, and Joseph, you have conversations with people on much higher levels than I do, and I, I'm perfectly fine with that. But I was wondering if you can, if you have any insight as to are the bishops aware of the division that their contrary, or their excuse me, their contradictory messages have caused. And, and what can be done to, to foster a more unified message from the bishops? You talked about that possibly with the USCCB, although you don't see that happening. But what, what can the bishops do? Yeah, it, it's very, very difficult. And, and uh, it came out in, in several conversations I had with bishops where they told me, you know, there's 49% that will agree with me and 49% that will disagree with me and you know, 2% that, that, that are on the fence. But it's almost like a... a a very difficult issue whenever they speak about COVID and anything related to it, because there's such division already in our society over right. this issue. Um, and, and a lot of heat, right? A lot of individuals who are very angry and just putting out something uh, that, that is, is uncharitable 
Um, so that there's, a, I think a, a lot of bishops have received hate mail <laughs> uh, and, and, and other things like that that make them kind of leery of, of coming out very much and, and speaking out on these issues. Now they do because they, they're required to as shepherds, but I think it's, it's very difficult for them to stay, to walk that line. And I, I can see it just for myself, right? Whenever the NCBC is, has been saying anything on these issues, we get a lot of feedback, uh, both positive and negative. And most of our feedback has been positive, but th- there's definitely been negative as well. And one has to be careful to be as balanced as possible, but I think also to really have the heart of a pastor, you know, in the case of bishops, to really look at, at their flocks and, and to, to pray for them and to, to try and help them discern as much as they possibly can uh, the right way forward here. It's, it's a challenge. Yeah. You know, as you were speaking, it strikes me that, you know, we're, we're talking, we've identified, you know, some of the, the bishops on the various spec, on the spectrum here, but really the number of bishops who have come out publicly one way or the other on this mandate issue is really very, very small. And yeah, it's just a few dozen, I would say. Yeah. And, and so I'm wondering if, if most of them are, you know, whether they have internal policies or they're, I mean, I'm sure they're all speaking about it internally within their diocese, but I'm wondering if there's a, they just don't want to come out publicly for the reasons that you just said. I think that's, that's possible. Absolutely. I mean, it's also strange, right? Because uh, private letters uh, sent to the clergy, <laughs> internal letters, you know, have been yep. making it out in, in the headlines. I mean, even I've seen that the NCBC, I mean, sometimes we'll send out a tweet and all of a sudden that becomes the the headline for an article. It right. never used to happen very much <laughs> that, uh, that one of our tweets was, was, you know, picked up by journalists immediately. So there's just a lot of scrutiny out there. And I think a lot of church officials, but particularly bishops are leery of, of giving any sort of grist to the mill of journalists who can just sort of attack them because there, there are a lot out there who simply want to attack the church sure. and they'll, they'll use whatever means at hand to come after them either pro or con right. uh, when it comes to the vaccine mandate, but it is important. And, and, and that's why we felt we had to put the statement out, you know, in terms of conscience that this is a, a non-negotiable teaching of the church and something that has to be taken very, very seriously because, you know, it also sets a precedent. If, if you're not granting conscience exemptions in these circumstances, then other circumstances are going to come up in the future where that could happen as well. And we don't want to be seeing this. Now, it has to be conscience well understood. And I think that is another major issue out there is that people don't really understand what conscience is from from a Catholic perspective, that it has to be objectively based, that it has to be well-formed, that it can't be contradictory to Catholic teaching. You know, uh, some some individuals, that's actually in the ethical and religious uh, directives for Catholic healthcare services. Some individuals will, you know, go to a Catholic hospital and ask for an abortion or ask for a sterilization. And they, they say, you know, in their conscience, they have a right to this. They have discerned that's the right thing for them. Well, you can't impose that, you know, on a Catholic hospital. And in fact, we can't impose our consciences on others, uh, except in very, very discrete circumstances. Generally, it's, it's like I can't be forced myself to go against my conscience, but I can't use my conscience as, as a club to beat someone else and force them to do what I want them to do. Uh, that's, that's also, you know, 
when you're starting to speak about the positive rights of conscience, you're getting into thin ice there. And some circumstances, yes, but most circumstances, no. Uh, because again, we have to be respectful of other people's consciences right. also. Right. Yeah. So a few minutes ago, you mentioned tweets that people will use and say, you know, this is, you know, this is the position of, of whatever group. So with that in mind, um, I'd like to ask you about Pope Francis. So many people are many people who actually oppose the NCBC uh, or oppose our position on uh, vaccine mandates anyway. Many of these people are pointing to a Pope Francis television interview from January of 2021 and a more recent public service announcement where in both cases he strongly encouraged vaccination as a means to uphold the common good, which you talked about earlier. Can you speak to those who cite Francis in their critique of the NCBC, and can you discuss the authoritative nature of TV interviews and, and PSAs? Absolutely. So the first thing that I always say when those things come up is that Pope Francis did not, absolutely did not say that an individual should be required to receive one of these vaccines if they have discerned in conscience that it's not right for them to do so. Okay. Uh, Pope Francis has discerned in conscience himself to get vaccinated. And he's also discerned that he thinks that it's, it's generally speaking a good thing. And he wants to spread that message. And he's absolutely within his rights to do so. Uh, and, and he's also, I think, very consciously not speaking to this issue of the mandates and mm -hmm. saying that individuals have to, particularly if, if they have a conscientious objection. So it, I think it's, um, it's a false opposition in the sense that um, Pope Francis has is, is been encouraging vaccination with uh, the COVID-19 vaccines, but he hasn't been doing so with regard to uh, vaccine mandates. Right. And the other thing that I think is very important is, is to look at the authoritative nature of these statements. So the public service announcements or like a TV interview, those, those are kind of the lowest level of statement. You know, we have the, the highest level, which is, you know, ex cathedra, you know, infallible teaching about faith and morals, you know, dogmatic teaching. That is the highest level. And the lowest level uh, in terms of any kind of authoritative weight is is a TV interview or a private conversation or something like that, where uh, the Holy Father is not, you know, going into all of the theological ramifications of it as as would be the case in an encyclical letter or a theological note, you know, things like that. And so I think these are important things to keep in mind because individuals kind of will take, a, you know, a statement from a bishop or a cardinal or the Holy Father that was meant, you know, in a conversation like the one you and I are having, right. you know, I would not say that what I've just said during this podcast is the most authoritative thing that's ever come out of the NCBC. It would be <laughs> statements that are, you know, really thought through and, and one can, um, one can misspeak and, and one can not be absolutely clear, uh, when one is having a conversation. Now, now it's also nice and, and helpful, you know, I think to, to understanding to, to speak about these issues. But if you want something very authoritative, you have to look at something that's more pondered and reflected and put in a more solemn package <laughs> uh, that has been reflected upon and gone over by more than just one individual. And that's what you get when you have an encyclical letter or you have a dogmatic constitution you know, of, uh, of a Vatican council or things like that, things that you know are thought through 
um, to make sure that they are the most authoritative they can be. Right. So correct me if I'm wrong. The most authoritative statement that the church has put out on the issue of COVID-19 vaccines is the uh, December 20th of 2020 statement of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Correct in that? I believe so. Yeah, because the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith is, is the highest doctrinal body in the church. All those statements are passed through the Holy, not only the prefect, but the Holy Father, uh, so that they're, they're approved before they go out, and they're, they're theologically well-studied before they're public, published and, 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 and divulged to, to the world. So that has a lot more weight, authoritative weight, than the statement of a bishop's conference or an individual bishop or you know, an interview or something of that nature. Right. And the CDF statement uh, from December of 2020 stated that, uh, as you mentioned earlier, that although we, you know, we do have absolutely have a duty to uphold the common good in terms of COVID-19 and do everything we can to prevent the transmission of the disease to others, there is no moral obligation to accept a vaccine. And in fact, if one does accept a vaccine, it has to be voluntary. Am I correct on that? That's correct. Yeah, the, the exact phrase was practical reason makes evident that vaccination is not, as a rule, a moral obligation and that therefore it must be voluntary. And that is the basis for the NCBC statements. That's the beginning of it. Yeah. And, and yeah. then, you know, we, we actually quoted in full, right, because it continues on to say, in any case, from the ethical point of view, the morality of vaccination depends not only on the duty to protect one's own health, but also on the duty to pursue the common good. In the absence of other means to stop or even prevent the epidemic, the common good may recommend vaccination, especially to protect the weakest and most exposed. Those who, however, for reasons of conscience, refuse vaccines produced with cell lines from aborted fetuses must do their utmost to avoid by other prophylactic means and appropriate behavior becoming vehicles for the transmission of the infectious agent. I mean, they really threaded the needle well on that, uh, giving both sides and, and pointing out you know, that sure, the, there are issues of the common good here, and there are also issues of conscience here. And there, there are prudential issues as well in terms of finding other ways to, uh, to keep others safe and oneself safe if one's not vaccinated, and also discerning whether the vaccines are, are the best way to go uh, right. in individual circumstances. Yeah. All right. So it is September 8th as we are recording this interview. And Last week or two weeks ago, uh, the FDA approved the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. So Joseph, has the FDA's approval of the Pfizer vaccine affected the NCBC's position on vaccine vaccine mandates? Well, it hasn't changed anything with regard to the abortion-derived cell line issue because they have not yet approved a vaccine that has no connection to the abortion-derived cell lines, even though they had the opportunity to do so. There was one vaccine that came uh, forward to them and, and applied for, for emergency youth authorization, and, and it was denied, and they were sent to the, the full process, which I think personally was a great shame because it's, it's being used successfully in India. It has emergency youth authorization there. But it does speak to some of the issues we have talked to about you know safety and efficacy. So the FDA granting full approval means that they have studied with great care uh, Pfizer's and BioNTech's vaccine. And actually, it's strange because instead of approving their mRNA vaccine, they approved the the Comey RNA-TY 
vaccine, which they say is slightly different, but but not that it has the same <laughs> safety and efficacy. Yeah. It's kind of strange. We're not exactly clear what what's going on there. But nonetheless, uh, that is is very reassuring. At the same time, one of the objections that has been brought forward and that the NCBC sees as reasonable, that there just hasn't been enough time uh, to know the long-term effects kind of remains an issue because they did this full approval in only 40% of the normal time period that, that, that goes into these approvals. Normally it takes years and it was less than a year uh, for the approval to go through. So nonetheless, uh, those issues I think remain real to say, well, we just don't know that time has not elapsed to know the two-year effects, uh, possible future side effects of these different vaccines. So I think that's important. And I think the other thing that's that's reassuring is to see that the FDA, uh, even when they granted the approval, uh, noted that there was a higher risk, uh, particularly in males under the age of 40, of myocarditis, pericarditis, and required further studies of these vaccines. One of the things that was personally quite reassuring to me was when the Johnson and Johnson Janssen vaccine uh, first rolled out and there were, you know, something like 15 cases of women with with rare and strange blood clots uh, between the ages of 30 and 49. They actually put a pause in there uh, for for a period of time to just investigate and see what was going on and you know what was the case and they, they found that it was something like 12.4 cases per million women. But still, it was strange that it was more women than men that were getting these blood clots. And so they they put a warning label on it, you know, and they've been studying that. It's good, right? It shows due diligence on the part of our public health authorities that they are taking the risks of these vaccines seriously and, and that they're continuing to study that. On the other hand, it does point to the fact that... Um, a lot of these things we simply do not know, cannot know until enough time has gone through. So I would say that the FDA approval is positive in terms of giving us, you know, greater reassurance, but it doesn't answer all the questions yet. Yeah. So Joseph, I, I mentioned earlier, and we talked about it a bit earlier, uh, the NCBC has received a lot of support for our position, but we've also received a fair amount of critique. And in some cases, the critique has been, how shall I term it, um, uncharitable. So I was wondering if you could speak to the tone of the public debate on the vaccine mandate question and what the NCBC is trying to do to maybe tone things down a bit. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that we try to do is, is stay on the, uh, on the rhetorical high road <laughs> where we're not uh, you know, name calling as, as much as possible. Uh, other individuals, you know, or scapegoating or, or somehow trying to to be uncharitable in our, our reactions, it has been very striking that, you know, some individuals, and I was actually, you know, at the University of Mary in North Dakota, and we were there, you know, for a two-day seminar, and I was just told by some officials at the university there, which is not mandating the vaccine, but they have a nursing program and the, the nurses are being mandated by some of the hospitals. And right. so some of the nursing students uh, are in a situation where they might not be able to get their degrees uh, if they don't get vaccinated and, you know, if they don't get an exemption, et cetera. And some of these individuals were so angry by this, they were, you know, referring to individuals as Hitler, you know, <laughs> um, and, and, and venting their, their frustration, their anger, et cetera. 
very misplaced in the sense that, you know, these are not the individuals who are placing the mandates on you, but even if they were the people doing so, calling them Hitler is, is not the way to go. So that's nasty on, on one side. And then on the other side, there are individuals, you know, who are saying, well, if you didn't get vaccinated, you shouldn't be allowed in the hospital. You shouldn't be allowed to go to the supermarket. You know, you should, you should be punished in all kinds of different ways, which again, you know, go against the common good go against our obligation and charity and solidarity to love our brothers and sisters and to respect differences of opinion. I think it's it's been a complicated enough issue with enough nuance out there that you know very good people will fall on both sides of the issue. And to kind of paint, you know, with a broad brush all individuals who disagree with me on on any of the covid issues uh, as unreasonable or in some way, you know, Covidiots, you know, or I don't know what, you know, is is not helpful. It's just not helpful. And did you and just make that term up? I've heard that term used. I haven't. I haven't heard that. That's the first time I've heard that. Oh yeah, it's terrible. And but there, there's so many more out there. And and some of these circumstances, you can even see how how press stories are constructed, right. essentially to shame individuals or to put people into a, a very bad light. And to say, well, I don't have any sympathy for you know people on this or that side of the issue. It's terrible. It it shouldn't be shouldn't be done because it's it's just creating division, further division. There's already division in our society. We're we're, we're tragically aware of that, but to to stoke the flames, you know, of animosity or even hatred is hugely irresponsible. And so I think we want to be a voice of reason if we can be there, and to help. Um, help love our brothers and sisters, you know, and, and to be as, as understanding and accommodating of different beliefs as possible. Now, sure, you know, we, we may think someone is wrong, but that doesn't make them our enemy. We want to, you know, and even if they were our enemy, you know, Christ is very strong about saying we have to love our enemies and and to, to be as, as charitable as we can towards them, which doesn't mean that we have to accept their arguments. You know, I, I think intellectual honesty is is very important, but also, you know, fighting in a way that's not dirty and not harmful of individuals. Because I think it's even degenerated into violence. You know, you have people protesting on one side or the other, and then they, they come to fisticuffs, you know, and, and fighting each other. And that, that just, you know, makes a bad situation worse. It doesn't really help anybody. Yeah. Charles, if you've hit on a number of different topics uh, in our interview today, I was wondering what final words of wisdom you have for our listeners. Something that I found wonderful from the USCCB from very early on in the pandemic. And it said, you know, the COVID, it causes fear. And individuals who are in the, in the grip of fear uh, sometimes make bad decisions. And it's very difficult to, to stay as calm and as collected and, and as objective as possible when, when one is fearful. And there's a tendency when there's a, a public health emergency like COVID, et cetera, to not only get frustrated, but also to say, you know, ethics don't matter. We just need to have a practical solution here and yep. go forward, you know, and, and all kinds of easy, rapid solutions that are not ethical become tempting. You know, the, the early triage decisions that uh, were out there were triage proposals where they were saying, you know, maybe we can cut out the elderly after a certain age or the handicapped, et cetera, because we were going to run out of ventilators or ICU beds. Those proposals were real and they were terrible. 
So we have to to hold on, I think, uh, even more closely to our ethics uh, because of the threat of this pandemic, and and also to realize, you know, as objectively as possible, you know, our own personal situations. It, it does vary tremendously from from one part of the country to the next, and even to humbly realize that that nobody, even the most, you know, advanced scientists, etc., understand uh, the evolution of this pandemic. Now, the predictions from the beginning have all been false, I think, <laughs> except if somebody in the very beginning had this idea that it would go on for two years. I mean, it's just hard to believe um, how long this has gone on and, and the permutations of it, the, the variants, et cetera. So I would really argue for humility that, uh, you know, we don't necessarily have all the answers and neither does the other individual there, even if they have a, an enormous background, you know, they, they may have be closer to the answer. They may have part of the answer better than we do, but I think we have to respect each other uh, as much as we can and to be as loving and, and humble about the fact that we don't know a lot. And in that circumstance, that there is need for caution and prudence. Very, very well stated. Joseph Meany, NCBC president, Thank you for joining me today on Bioethics on Air. Hey, thank you, Joe. For more information on these topics and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on Bioethics on Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, or if you would like to subscribe to our newsletter or our Bioethics Public Policy Report, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot. Archived editions of our podcast are available on our website. Please hover on the Blogs and Podcasts button on the main page and then click Bioethics on Air. Finally, if you enjoy our podcasts and would like to support them, as well as the mission and ongoing work of the NCBC, please go to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and click on the red donate button. Thank you for listening and may God's peace be with you.